I have been on uh, a few different camps and a few different places, and I've got to tell you that what God is doing on this summer camp is something very, very special. Would you agree with that? So we're in the book of Jonah, chapter 3. Are you ready? And I, I just wanted to check something because um, I, I don't think this, but some people might think, some people would say, isn't it a little bit old-fashioned and boring just picking a book of the Bible and going through it verse by verse and chapter by chapter? Aren't you guys finding this book a bit boring and old-fashioned and stuff like that? Okay, okay, me neither. I just wanted to check because I thought maybe you would be finding it boring. I'm absolutely loving this. And uh, we're halfway through the book of Jonah. Well done. And uh, so we're in Jonah chapter 3. I'm going to read it and then um, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna have some fun tonight. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Guess what? Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast. And all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. When the news of this reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles. That's a kingly voice, by the way. Do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Don't let them eat or drink. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger, so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did, and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion, and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. I'm absolutely loving going through this book of Jonah, and you've, you've answered all the questions correctly so far. Well done. I'm going to throw a trick question at you, but I want you to answer it. Here, it's a trick question. Did you get that? Okay. Did, did you get that? Okay. Everyone knows, you've got to complete the sentence. Everyone knows that this story is the story about Jonah and a great big... There is absolute confusion and chaos in the ranks. My guess is a lot of you, a lot of you, if you were to write an awareness test, would fail that awareness test. In fact, 
We've got an awareness test up on the screen. Check it out. This is an awareness test. You got that? How many passes does the team in white make? How many? The answer is 13. But did you see the moonwalking bear? Go! Okay, see ya. Great job. Well done. Give him a hand. Did some of you fail the awareness test after I told you you were going to fail the awareness test? You see, at one level, yes, that is a video about a basketball team in white passing the ball 13 times, but there is something way, way cooler going on. There is a moonwalking bear. And this book, the book of Jonah, yes, at one level, it is a story about Jonah and a big fish, but there is something way, way cooler going on. It's a story about Jonah and a big mission that's become your mission and my mission. It's a story about Jonah and a big God who has a heart for Jonah and for Israel and for every nation of this world. It's a story about Jonah and a big grace which rescued him in his stubbornness. And it's the same grace that rescues you and me in our stubbornness. We're going to go through this story in the book of Jonah right now, Jonah chapter 3, and we're just going to ask God to speak to us about a few things. We're going to see God's grace tonight, God's big grace, and tonight I want to talk about how you and I respond to this big grace. <laughs> Jonah chapter 3. Verse 1 says, And the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very important city. Required three days. Day one, Jonah starts into the city. He proclaims 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Now, I don't mean any offense to Jonah. But I've been preaching for close on 20 years now, and I've preached some pretty bad sermons. But this right here has to be the world's worst sermon ever. Why do I say that? Well, I flew seven hours to get here, okay? And I've given you guys at least an hour and a quarter of preaching. That's pretty good, yeah? Jonah has been through a lot. We won't go back over that. And all he's got to preach is 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Thank you. It's time for the tea and coffee now. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I, I want us to try picture how this went down. Jonah rocks up 
in town. And he's like, hey, hey, listen, everybody, I've, I've, I've got a message for you from God. And so if you could all please come around and listen to my sermon, God told me to come and preach a sermon to you. The guys pitch up and they're like, okay, here we are. Give us your best shot. Now, Jonah says, okay. Now in there, it's one, how many words is that sermon? It's the other seven, which is eight. <laughs> eight words. Now, the Bible was, before it was in our English translation, it was originally in Hebrew. And in Hebrew, it's not even eight words. It's a five-word sermon. Literally translated, it goes something like this. <clears throat> you guys, sit down, please. Got to listen to my sermon. Here's the sermon. Yet, 40 days, Nineveh, Time for Q&A. <laughs> yeah, you at the back, what's your question? Is that it? Yeah, that's it. Yet, 40 days, Nineveh, that's all you guys. Same guy. Do you have any sermon illustrations for us, maybe? No sermon illustrations. Maybe like an Avengers movie clip or a radio-controlled helicopter. Turner's like, no, 40 days, you guys... I'm a bit fed up now. I want to go home. Any more questions? I'll take one more question. <laughs> yes, you at the back, again, asking all the questions. You can ask the last question. What is your question? So why do you smell like fish vomit? Jonah's like, long story, I'm going home. <laughs> now, the story of Jonah is full of twists and turns. But you and I wouldn't see this coming. A prophet smelling of fish vomit looking like he's been raised from the dead, comes and preaches the world's worst ever five-word sermon, and check this out, verse 5, the Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast. All of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Now, this story, even before we get into the bulk of today's message, it, it, it does two things for me. Number one is, friends, what you and I have read so far is incredibly encouraging. Because what it means is that God can take your and my feeblest efforts, 
He can take our stuttering sermons. And if he chooses, he can use them to turn a city around. This is incredibly encouraging. Because I don't know about you, but when I read Jonah 3 verse 1, and I read the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, I'm, I'm, I'm like, are we still talking about this clown? Like Steve said, get Amos or someone else. This guy is like, he's, he's... But God's not like that. He gets hold of men like Jonah. He gives them a second chance. He gets hold of disciples like Peter. We heard about him earlier. Pull out a sword, then deny the Lord. God gave him a second chance. God took a man like Paul, so headed in the wrong direction, thought he was serving God. And God got a hold of him and said, I want to give you another chance. Exhibit A, B, C. But friends, I stand before you today as someone who can tell you that there is no way I'd be standing in front of you today unless God had given me a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance. Some of you are here and if you're honest in the bottom of your heart, you're thinking something like, man, I've done a Jonah, and I've blown it. I'm disqualified. I've got, a, I've got the spiritual equivalent of a red card. If that's what I want to say to you, God recorded Jonah's story so that you could hear it tonight. And because he's calling you back into mission, with him tonight. It's hugely encouraging because God gives people like you and me a second chance. But not just that. When I read the story, I think, man, God, would you give me, would you give us at summer camp tonight, would you give us hearts like the Ninevites had? They got the world's worst prophet preaching his worst sermon. And they said, God, we respond to what you're saying in that. You see, I, I don't know about you, but over time we can become like this. We can become like, listen, I've done quite a few summer camps now. This is number five or six, and uh, I know how it works. Don't arrive on Thursday night. That's for rookies. Everyone else can arrive, but then on, on Friday, things kind of warm up. And then sometime on Saturday or Sunday, when the worship leader is playing just the right song, my favorite song, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not the studio version, the live version. The studio version isn't as good. And if the preacher's really on form, then, 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 then God will speak to me. Then things will happen. If I'm in the prayer line, 
and one of the senior leaders comes. Did you know there's senior leaders and junior leaders on this camp, by the way? You hadn't heard. If you hadn't heard, you're probably a junior leader. <laughs> but, oh, man, if, if so-and-so prays for me, then, then things are going to happen, man. But what I love and what I want to explore tonight is these Ninevites, they said, you know what? We don't care if it's a prophet who's rebellious and out of sync with God, doesn't even want to be there. We are so hungry and so open to what God has for us. We will take anything. My friends, that's a great heart to have. I'm tempted to preach another sermon now, but I will be disciplined. But you know, Jesus himself went to Nazareth and preached his best sermon, prayed for the sick, and the Bible says he could not do any mighty works there. Jesus. Do you know why? Because the people of Nazareth were like, hey, Jesus, come on, impress us. Can't you find a better band than that? Nazareth got Jesus, Nineveh got Jonah, Nazareth, Jesus couldn't do many great miracles there except heal a few sick people, in Nineveh, revival breaks out, and so I want to talk a bit tonight about, if you like, four dimensions of revival. I'm, I'm not saying four steps to revival. I don't have four steps to revival for you. But here in Nineveh, we see revival break out and we see four dimensions to what's going on. And I talk about revival because man, God can turn a city upside down. He did it in Nineveh. He does it in Ephesus in the New Testament. He's done it down through history. It's what God does. And part of what we want to say tonight is, hey, team, however much you've experienced of God, there is more. There is way, way more. And you and I get to spend the rest of our lives pressing into it. And so God can turn a whole city around, but I'm not saying, hey, this is just about God turning cities around. He can. But these four dimensions of revival are also four dimensions of spiritual renewal. That means it's four dimensions of how we grow in Christ, how we get from, uh, from caterpillar into cocoon and into butterfly and bigger and stronger butterflies flying further and faster. How do we do that? And we see in Nineveh, Four components, but I just want to talk a little bit about revival, so we're talking about the same thing. We said it happened in Nineveh, it happened in Ephesus, but there was also a revival in a place called Wales. In 1904, 1905, and some of the stories of God sweeping through a nation have been recorded. They're with us 120 years later. Some would say that the Welsh revival started in 1904 on February the 14th. Everyone was gathered in a Sunday service and a young woman named Florrie Evans. That's a bad start right there. <laughs> Anyone called Florrie here? Just checking. Is there? Help me, someone. You call Florrie? I love that name. <laughs> Florrie Evans stood to her feet and publicly confessed, I love the Lord Jesus with all my heart. As she spoke these words, the Holy Spirit seemed to fall on the meeting. 
And that was the beginning of a revival that swept across a nation. Friends, I'm trying to encourage us. You have no idea what what, what God could use, a five-word sermon. Or your testimony, I love Jesus with all my heart. And if God can come upon that, he can touch one person's heart. He can touch a family's heart. What happened in Wales as this followed on? Well, one of the guys, one of the leaders of the revival, his name was uh, Evan Roberts. He prayed for 100,000 people in one nation to be saved. And estimates are 150,000 people in one year got saved and added to churches across Wales. What happens when God moves in families and communities and cities? History says in Wales, whole communities were turned upside down and were radically changed. The crime rate dropped often to nothing. The police force reported that they had nothing to do except supervise people on the way to prayer meetings. Magistrates turned up at courts to discover there were no cases to try. The alcohol trade was decimated as people were caught up more by what happened in the local churches than what was happening in the local pubs and bars. Did revival come with some problems? Yes, revival came with some problems. Here's one problem. Wales was a mining nation. And in this mining nation, they mined for coal using what was called pit ponies, a kind of horse called a pit pony, to carry the coal out of the mine. And what happened is these pit ponies were so used to the miners cursing and swearing at them that when the miners got saved and started to talk kindly and gently, the poor ponies didn't understand what the miners were saying. They're like, sorry, don't speak English or Welsh, just cursing and swearing. That's all that we've heard since we started this job. And the ponies had to be retrained to understand kinder and gentler language. When God is on the move. Friends, are you getting the sense that there's more than what we've got so far? Here's one of my favorite quotes about the revival. Someone from that time wrote this. If you go to South Wales and watch the revival, you will feel like there is something there from another world. You cannot say from whence it came or whither it is going, but it moves and lives and reaches for you all the time. You see men and women go down in sobbing agony before your eyes as the invisible hand clutches at their heart and you shudder. Friends, God's got more for us. I'm not saying we'll get here tomorrow, but I'm saying there's more. Let's be going after the more. And there are four dimensions to that. What's the first thing that the Ninevites did? The first thing that they did is they believed God. And um, I really want us to get some good prayer ministry time. And so I'm going to give you what the four main headings are. We're going to unpack them as much as we can. And then we're going to get the band up and start um, worshiping again. It's believe God, humble ourselves, uh, call on God, and make a U-turn. The first one is believe God. That's the first thing that the Ninevites did. How do you become a Christian? I want you to understand this. You become a Christian by believing plus nothing 
in Jesus plus nothing. That's how you become a Christian. And I preached this somewhere, I can't remember what, and someone came up to me and said, are you sure about this plus nothing? They didn't talk like that, but that's... <laughs> are you sure about this plus nothing business? And you see, there were people who died for the truth. In the 1500s, there were people who said, it became a Latin battle cry, it was sole, sola fide, by faith alone, by trusting alone. They were like, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Summer Cap 2020 version is believe plus nothing. In Jesus plus nothing. Exhibit A is Jesus on the cross. Was he crucified alone? How many people there? Where and where? One on either side. Were these nice guys? Oh, you're preaching the sermon for me. I love it. Two criminals on either side of him. One of them starts to mock him. The other says this up on the screen. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus says to him, I tell you the truth. And when Jesus says, I tell you the truth, that's code for what I'm about to say will blow your tiny mind. <laughs> I tell you the truth. This day, you will be with me in paradise. This guy is nailed to a cross and will be dead in a few hours. All he's been able to do is believe in Jesus. How many more good works do you think he'll be able to do? Zero. And this battle has been going on. I'm, I know it goes on in our hearts. It's been going on for centuries. In the 1500s, the Catholic Church said, hey, listen, when you die, you don't go to hell, you don't go to heaven, you won't be in paradise with Jesus. You go to a place called purgatory. And purgatory ain't very nice, but listen, we can get your relatives out of purgatory for a bit of money. And so what they say is, bring us the money and we'll put it in the coffers. And when we hear the ka-ching, ka-ching, good things are going to happen to your relatives in purgatory. Or put more succinctly, the mantra at that time was this, when the coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. That's what was believed. Until a band of brave men actually read their Bibles and says, no, we are saved by faith plus nothing in Jesus plus nothing. Why is that important? It's important because if you, if you became a follower of Jesus on this camp, you're going to go home and in a, few, in a few days you may wonder, what was all that about? Was my life really changed forever? I mean, if that's really happened, shouldn't they have given us a tattoo or something? Or it's a Jewish camp, maybe they forgot to circumcise us, I'm not sure. And at that time, you've got to remind yourself, we are saved, we become children of God by believing plus nothing in Jesus plus nothing. 
It's how you become a Christian. It's how you grow in your Christian walk. God's calling us to be a people who believe him, who believe God. God's calling us to be people who grow in our faith. And at the end of tonight, one of the great things that you can be praying as we stand together, as we worship, you can be praying something a guy said to Jesus in the Gospels. He said, Lord, I believe. Would you help me overcome my unbelief? We're all a mixture of belief and unbelief. And we can come to Jesus and say, Lord, I believe this much. (laughs) Would you help me overcome my unbelief, which is this much? And when we start to believe God for family members to be saved, for sick people to be healed, for sin to be overcome, we start to experience these dimensions of spiritual renewal, of revival. So the first thing is what? Believe. The second thing, I love the second thing. This is important. I want you to get this one. The second thing is you need to, we need to humble ourselves. That's what's going on in this next bit of the verse. You can go on to the verse over there. It says, the Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast. When you fast, you stop eating food and you become weak. It reminds us that we are not the all-powerful God. There's only one all-powerful God. And all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, He rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Do you know what's going on here? I want to help you understand what's going on here. And to help us understand, we have the final Avengers clip of summer camp. Here we go. Uh, genius, billionaire, playboy, philanthropist. No offense, but I don't play well with others. Big man in a suit of armor. Take that away. What are you? Uh, genius, billionaire, playboy, philanthropist. <laughs> okay, if you've been on Mars for the last 20 years and missed the Marvelverse, what's going on there is Captain America says to him, Hey, Iron Man, you're a big man in the iron suit. But when we take off the iron suit, what's left? And Tony Stark says, um, genius, billionaire, playboy, philanthropist. What he's saying, boom. What he's saying there is, hey, listen, I'm a big man in the suit. But when you take off the iron suit, I'm still pretty awesome. That's the exact opposite to what it takes to grow in God. And that's one of the reasons... It was one of the dimensions of what went on in Nineveh. Is the king, the big man, the prefect of the school, he was the head boy, he was the captain of the sports team, he was the best looking, he had the most Valentine's cards at Valentine's, he was the, the, he was the everything. And he said, no, this throne is nothing, it's, 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 I might as well be sitting in the dust because there's a God who's on the throne of the universe. He said, oh, my, I've, got, I've got fancy clothes, but man, these fancy clothes, give me sackcloth. Sackcloth was worn by slaves and prisoners. He was saying, man, we've been living like we're free, but actually we're enslaved to sin. We're enslaved to the idols that we've been serving. One of the dimensions to our spiritual growth is humbling ourselves. And Most of you probably don't struggle with this, but I remember through my teen years, 
what everyone around me thought about me was so important. My reputation. Have I proved myself? How does this look to? And there's a powerful thing that happens when we're willing to say, I haven't got it all together. I haven't figured it all out. But here's the good news. I know someone who has got it all together and who has figured it all out. And he's the one I believe in. In fact, I believe plus nothing in him plus nothing. third dimension is to call urgently on God and that's one of the reasons why we pray meeting after meeting is we say man we need to call on God see him move in our midst the fourth dimension comes back to that excellent message this morning from Sarah she spoke about the gift of repentance and the Ninevites, they, they believed God. And I want to encourage us. Let's be a generation that believes God. I remember there was a man called Pete Dreyer. Is that how you pronounce it? And uh, we were in a prayer and fasting somewhere. He was a big Afrikaner farmer. And I remember him saying to us, he said, he said to a group of us at a young adults meeting, he said, he said, he gave a prophetic word and it was the voice of God. It felt like speaking to him. And he said, my children, this is my Afrikaans accent, by the way. My children, I want you to believe me for great things so that when you die and get to heaven, I have to say to you, my children, you believed me for too much. That stuck with me a couple of decades now. Jesus never rebuked the disciples for too much faith. He often said, come on, guys, where's your faith? What are you believing God for tonight? They believed God. They humbled themselves. They put aside their reputation. They said, we are weak. He is not. We are poor. He is rich. We haven't got it together. He has got it together. They called urgently on God. And every person who calls on God in the book of Jonah gets rescued. The sailors call on God, they get rescued. Jonah calls on God from a fish, he gets rescued. The Ninevites call on God, they get rescued. And the last thing, and this is all we have time for, but I think it's enough. And it's more than five Hebrew words, isn't it? So God can use it. The last thing is this gift of repentance. Are you still with me? Okay, because some of you, when I say this, you're going to go, huh? So be awake, okay. I just said that we are saved by trusting plus in Jesus plus. Or in other words, we are saved by faith alone. Everyone got that. We're saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves us is never alone. Huh? I told you. Gareth, Angela, come up here quickly. You've got to explain this. Make sure these guys get this. Give them a hand as they come up. You know, I should have checked this before. I'm assuming you guys are married. Is that right? Yes. 
Okay, because you've been acting like it. All right. And that's a good thing. Now. understand this I'm, I'm gonna go quick and if you don't get it come talk to me afterwards or talk to your group leader or whatever his name is faith say hi faith. hi faith his name is works her name is works <laughs> say hi works okay please don't let me down at the end of my last sermon on summer camp are we saved by faith or by works we're saved by trusting in Jesus. Trusting plus nothing in Jesus plus nothing. He's my friend. His name is Trust, a.k.a. Faith. <laughs> I'm saved by him. But check this out. Since I've known Gareth, since Thursday, <laughs> every time I see him, guess who's with him? So it seems that everywhere that faith goes, work comes too. It seems as though they're almost inseparable. And maybe they are. But that doesn't change the fact that what actually saves me is not, even though they come together, we're, we're saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves us is never alone. It always empowers us in His Spirit to live a life that makes the world look and wonder. Does that make sense? Give a hand to faith and work as they grab their seats. Okay, the last thing is we've got to make a U-turn. We've got to, the, the U-turn is the works, but, but you said we're not saved by works. I know you're saved by faith, but faith without works, ooh, it's a dodgy kind of faith. What you see in Nineveh, next slide please. The king says, let them give up their evil ways and their violence. The whole nation, give up evil ways. Give up violence. He's saying we need to change. We've believed God. We've called on his name. We've humbled ourselves. But friends, our lives need to look different. It's not what saves us. But it's a result of the faith by which we are saved. And I and I think a couple of the other leaders have been feeling that... Uh, God wants some of us to make a U-turn in certain areas of our lives. There are things we need to stop doing. And for some of us in this tent, it's almost too late in that the consequences are mounting. We're getting deeper and deeper into bondage. It's never too late because Jesus can break in. But I believe with all my heart, 
there's no better time than right now to say, God, would you rescue? Shall we stand together?